Picture this, the surf, the sand, a flickering bonfire, and a beautiful sunset. What's missing? Comedy, of course. Hi, I'm Tori Ward, and this spring I'm teaming up with fellow comedian Amanda Arnold to bring a side-splitting good time to the Oregon coast. Escape the bustle of Portland, grab some friends, and take a drive out west to the beach. April 26th, 27th, and 28th, Undertow Comedy Festival presents over 25 fantastically funny comedians from across the nation, performing in three historic venues, delivering three laugh-filled nights of comedy in Lincoln City. Experience the hilarious comedic stylings of Ron Funches, Lori Kilmartin, Jeff Dye, Shane Moss, and Ron Lynch, just to name a few. Passes are on sale now at undertowcomedy.com. That's undertowcomedy.com. So what are you waiting for? Get pulled under. Hey everybody, Chris here, telling you about some cool new spec script stuff coming up. First of all, on March 29th, this coming Thursday, we're recording a pilot at Open Signal. It's going to be a new version of Lucia Fasano's script of Star Trek The Next Generation, and it's going to be real fun. Uh, message Chris, me, Chris Hotomy, for details if you want to be in our studio audience. Thank you. We also have, of course, Kyle's Going Away show on April 8th that we hope to see you at. Then we have another return to Seattle at Scratch Deli on April 21st, where Ryan Casey and Douglas Gale will write Grey's Anatomy because Seattle. And then we have... Our whole fun shebang at the Undertow Comedy Festival, where we will be doing Baywatch, written by TVA, but starring many cool people, including Ron Lynch. So that's April 26th at Undertow Comedy Festival. Hope to see you there. You're listening to Specscript. Today's episode, Mad Men by Justin Cousin. Today's episode, Mad Men! <laughs> All right, everybody, we're about to start Mad Men, uh, the spec script episode of Mad Men. Spec script Mad Men. Uh, could you say those words again? Spec script Mad Men. Spec script Mad Men. Spec script Mad Men. All right, whatever. So, spec script Mad Men is starting. It's written by the beautiful boy, Justin Cousin himself. And everybody, give a big round of applause for Justin Cousin. <laughs> Here's what Spectrip did. Who here has been to a Spectrip before? All right, and who is a fresh new baby? Yeah! Oh, hey, that's some of our cast. So Spectrip to the show, a podcast on the River City Podcast Federation, a podcast network in Portland with a lot of great shows on it that I can't even list because there are already a hundred of them, basically. But it's a great one. We uh, divide the show into two things. You just saw the Primo pre-show. That's only for you, beautiful babes. It's not for anyone listening the people that listen who like live in like england they don't get the joy of wrestling it's their fault for colonizing america uh i don't know um anyway yeah so basically uh this is a show where somebody writes an episode of a tv show they have never seen they don't know anything except for a tiny little information that they gain through osmosis and maybe a bit of information kyle shane or i tell them in a spec strip cheat sheet today's episode is mad men written by justin cousson and we have an amazing cast Give him a round of applause. All right. So what we're so what we're gonna do is we're gonna get to know the cast. You all here can see who's talking, but the people listening uh, on uh, the podcast don't see everyone's face and don't know what they are look like when they're talking. They're good faces. They are all good faces. So what we're gonna do is for the people listening at home who can't see our beautiful faced cast, we're gonna go along the line, and everyone's gonna say their name the character they're playing, and they're going to answer a question from us so that the listeners can match the voice to the character and get to hear them speak a little bit. Um, I didn't think of a question. I do have a question. Fabulous. What is your favorite event in American history? Ooh! Because, yeah, because Mad Men is a period piece. In case you didn't know that, Justin, uh, Mad Men takes place in the past. This is going to be weird. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's not in the future. That's Mad Max Fury Road. Mad Uh, Men Fury Road. Do something with that. Well, right. thanks for telling me now. <laughs> oh, good. So, let's, should we start? Which let's, side? Let's start with uh, the, the, the special man himself, uh, Justin. Tell us uh, your name, what character you're reading, and what is your favorite th- moment in U.S. history? 
All right, hi, I'm Justin Cusan. I wrote this episode of Mad Men, and I will be the narrator. And my favorite event in American history, I'm going to go with the 1966 World Series. Go Orioles, what up? Um, okay, I'm, uh, my name is Kirsten Koopenbender, and I will be... Thank you. Um, I'm going to be Mr. Don Draper tonight. Thank you. Oh, I just was going to skip the question. Go ahead. <laughs> That's my new favorite moment. Hot take. Ow. <laughs> hey, I'm Lydia Manning. I'm going to be reading the role of Peggy. People like Peggy. Uh, my favorite event in American history was 9-11-1999. Oh. <laughs> we got an extra recess that day. Second grade. Oh, God. God. Real fun. Oh, I know why you get banned from venues. <laughs> Never forget. Uh, my name is Tiffany McGuire. I am playing the role of Joan. And I don't know what day this was, but it definitely was in 1982. Whenever Michael Jackson's Thriller premiered. Woo! Also, I think I was born somewhere around then. Uh, my name's John Washington, and I'll be saying the role of Betty Draper. Oh! Hell yeah. And Altamont. Ooh, sharp. Hi, my name's Nadav. Thanks. I'm playing Roger Sterling, and my favorite event in American history is that that time when that guy built a tank out of his tractor and went on an unstoppable rampage in his small town and only managed to kill his boss. Spoilers. Only. Exactly. That's the dream. He reached the American dream. He killed himself too. Yeah, that also. The American. Fans in the house. Hi, I'm Kyle. I'm playing uh, Pete Campbell. Thank you. And uh, my favorite time in American history was when Good Burger came out, because that's when I was born. You were born when? Bo- that's not. That's not right. Yeah, I'm 21. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's not classic right. Pete. Classic Pete. My name is Kyle McCormick. Uh, I will be playing the role of uh, woman. Hell yeah. Um, and uh, my favorite day in U.S. history was um. Yesterday. Was yesterday. Thanks, Justin. No, uh, wait, no, for real, I'm going to say it was uh, the day that George Washington decided to not crown himself king after the Revolutionary War, because that would have sucked, because his great-grandson was Robert E. Lee. And uh, that line would have been fucked up. What a twist. So, by marriage, but still, it counts. Um, yeah, my name is Chris Hotomy. I... Thank you, thank you so much, thank you. I need it, I'm in pain. Uh, I forgot what character I'm playing. I'm Other Mistress. Uh, the role I wasn't just born to play, but that I believe a divine creator made me for. Uh, other Mistress. You're welcome. Yeah, if anyone here already has a mistress, but you need another mistress, I can't, I'm not, I'm not stable enough to be mistress number one, but yeah. All right. Um, my favorite moment in American history uh, it's probably this time that a, like a brigade of uh, soldiers from Alabama went down to fight in the Yucatecan caste war, which is a Mayan revolution, and uh, they all got killed by the Mayans. Uh, and the Mayans were like, who are these big, fat, pink guys that just came down and like, stood in a line and then all died? Uh, and they were like, never heard from again. And it was... It's a great moment in U.S. history where we, where we thought we could go into another country and it didn't go well. Uh, glad we learned our lesson. Yeah, I'm glad we learned our lesson. Uh, I'm glad things are great again. Uh, good. Yeah, boy. All right. Um, so, uh, who is ready to start? Spectrum. Today's episode 
Mad Men by Justin Cousin. Don Draper, the best advertising man in New York City, is having that dream again. The dream where he's falling. He remembers the office. He remembers putting down his briefcase. He always does that. But then all around him, the posters come off the walls. The chairs collapse. The building falls away and the floor gives in and all the pieces vanish. Suddenly, he's falling from a great height and slowly. He's been having that dream for months and months. He doesn't know what it means, but it terrifies him. Don wakes up in a disoriented sweat. His wife, Betty, a kind-hearted, exhausted woman, unraveling by her loyalty to a cryptic and withholding husband, knows the man she married can't sleep through the night, but he tells her little as to why. It's 3.35 a.m. She lightly caresses his sweaty shoulder as he trembles wide-eyed. Are you okay, honey? Ah. Who said you could speak to me? Go start dinner. Donnie, it's 3 a.m. It's not time for dinner. My name is Mr. Don Draper. It always has been. Honey, relax. You are Mr. Don Draper. That's true. You're home. 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 What do we think of when we think of home? (laughs) The great belonging. The birthplace of emotion's favorite son, Tranquility. Home. Home, the grand sport played in the Yankee Stadium, best known as the house. The house. The walls which shield your love from the greedy mitts of your envious neighbors. The house. It keeps the wind off you. (laughs) Betty is used to her husband going on advertising tangents. Yes, Don, the house keeps the wind off you. Don falls back asleep, satisfied that he has sold yet another grand idea. Betty has put up with this shit for several years. Interior, Sterling Cooper Advertising Agency. We enter the prestigious Sterling Cooper Advertising Agency. It's the early 1960s or some shit, and Sterling Cooper is the most trusted authority in making the unnecessary irresistible. The office is decorated with frame posters of their most notable successes. Product images adorned with compelling, sexy imagery and undeniable taglines. All the biggest brands are represented. This is where Draper is king the man who can spin anything. Don is greeted by Joan, a stylish redhead with a commanding personality who gives off an air of being in complete control of any situation. She's confident, clever, and totally unfazed by the chaotic beats of whatever hour-long period drama she exists in. Good morning, Mr. Draper. Please, Joan, call me Mr. Don Draper. It's always been my actual name. (laughs) Don pulls out a cigarette. Joan is already prepared to light it. It's the only name you have. May as well put it all to use. When are you going to put me to use? (laughs) You know, sexually. In a gross way. Nature is simple and disgusting. A jute-coated, juice-coated, fleshy jigsaw puzzle. Oh, Mr. Don Draper, I already got all the use I need out of you. Your snappy slogans keep me in fine dresses and endless shrimp. Besides, I don't want your mistress to get jealous. Don't want to deprive them of the two-minute highlight of their weekends. Joan lights her own cigarettes. You're the only woman I acknowledge, Joan. And you're the only man I tolerate. What's the fire today? 
Same thing it always is. The dummies came in early to try to get a leg up on you with today's pitch. The girls got potential, but the other two are as useful as a record player in a convertible. <laughs> Interior, Sterling Cooper conference room. Inside the conference room, we meet the peripheral characters. <laughs> Peggy, an ambitious junior copywriter. Pete, a spoiled little turd. <laughs> and a character named Roger Sterling, who, thanks to a reckless skimming of notes, we have reinterpreted as Rod Sterling, host of The Twilight Zone. <laughs> The trio is transfixed on a mock-up image displayed on an easel. Below the image of an RCA Victor color television, it reads, RCA Victor, color television. I don't get it. What's not to get? It's a color television. We make people want to buy it. I guess we could, like, put a cowboy on the TV. Pete, deep in thought, pauses for what feels like a decade. <laughs> a cowboy... Smoking a cigarette. That's what you suggested for Campbell's soup on Thursday, Pete. <laughs> Fine. Two cigarettes. More the better. One cowboy smoking two cigarettes. This TV will outsell even soup. That's nice, Pete. I mean, color television. It looks tremendous, and I hear more programs than ever already shooting in color, but how can we spin this? My parents just got a television last month, and most people I know hardly have black and white models. Imagine, if you will, a dimension as vast as space and as timeless as infinity. It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition, and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is the dimension of imagination. This is an area. Don cuts off Rod. A picture as colorful as your life. A hushed awe rolls over the room. Draper has done it again. Pete pounds the table as he foams at the mouth. Two cowboys smoking four cigarettes. I need a drink. Don removes his hat and hands Joan a perfectly presented old-fashioned from atop his head. My work here is done. Interior, Sterling Cooper Hallway. Don considers his day's work finished after his single line in the boardroom and takes a victory stroll toward his office, drinking a martini he pulled out of his breast pocket and stopping to admire some of his past successes, lining the, halls, lining the walls of the hallway. He imagines he's being interviewed and begins rattling off his achievements to no one in particular. You know, I was the one who got people to stop eating sunscreen. <laughs> Peggy approaches Don and taps him on the shoulder. Don is spooked out of his daydream and nearly spills a drop of his martini. He recovers his composure quickly. Mr. Draper? Mr. Don Draper. My actual real name, please. <laughs> Mr. Don Draper, then? How did you do what you did in there? A man should always keep a drink under his hat in case of emergencies. Not that. Everybody knows that. <laughs> About the RCA Victor Color Television... I was in there for two hours this morning, pondering, debating, trying to shape my arguments and considering my audiences and demographics and exhausting myself trying to boil down complex ideas into digestible tidbits and snappy titling, but you knew how to spin it after glancing at it for a moment. I want to make people need things. I want to be quicker, sharper, the best I can be. How do you do it? Well, you eager little bitch. <laughs> I look at it two ways. We either fill the void or we illuminate what you already have. I don't sell you what you need with a color TV. I take a product you already have, a product which already exists, and show how it's better now, how it reflects the people who own it. 
the richest, most vibrant color for the richest, most vibrant lives. Black and white television, that's not, the world we, that's not what the world looks like. That's an illusion, an escape. Color TV, that reflects the lives we want to live, the perfect, bolder ones that we want to show that we already have. Do you have a smoke? Every once in a while. Don sticks a cigarette between Peggy's lips and lights it. Smoke more. <laughs> Aren't these terrible for you? We're all bound to fall. May as well look cool on the way down. <laughs> Interior, Sterling Cooper boardroom. Pete and Rod haven't left the room after the RCA Victor color television pitch meeting. Pete is clearly agitated and upset about his inability to come up with selling points. Rod is staring directly into the camera with intention of breaking the fourth wall. <laughs> I don't get it. Draper thinks he's so hot just because he got people to stop heating sunscreen? You know what? I don't even think that's that bad for you. It's just thick mayonnaise for the skin. See? I'm a genius too. Pete lights up two cigarettes. My pitch is every as good as his. My ideas are every bit as catchy, and yet nobody chooses my concepts over his. Remember Swanson Frozen Dinners? If they went with me, everyone would have been talking about the smoking cowboys, thawing out turkey, mashed potatoes, and gravy over the campfire. But no, John, Don went with Don Draper with his future is now meal in minutes. No work before, no dishes after, garbage. Even your take was better than that. What was it again? You're traveling <laughs> through another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. A journey into a wondrous land whose boundaries are that of imagination. That's a signpost up ahead. Pete cuts him off. Yeah, yours was okay. But mine was better, and I can't stand that. Draper, some guys just have it all. And I want some of that all. Interior. Some room, I guess. <laughs> Don Draper has just finished having sex with a woman who is not his wife. As he thrusts away, he thinks of his nightmare. He falls. He falls. He falls again. It does not make for satisfying sex. His partner does not seem pleased and looks forward to the invention of a third sexual position. Don rolls off her when he's decided he has died enough times. Whoopsie. <laughs> was that it? Yeah, baby. That was it. Huh. Neato. Where's your liquor cabinet? I, I need to forget the sight of you and drown the feelings of my in inevitable demise. It's by the high five. Neato. Interior, Sterling Cooper office. Don Draper waltzes into the office again after another packed night. He drank seven martinis, five old fashions, slept with a stranger he met at a bar, accidentally drank a bottle of the blue liquid they keep combs in, <laughs> and returned home to his wife's strained affection, a pot roast, and an evening highlighted by his recurring dream where he is falling slowly to his death surrounded by skyscrapers. Good morning, Joan. How are you today? Good morning, Mr. Don Draper. I was just having a conversation with another woman about something other than a man. <laughs> uh, that sounds stupid. We don't pay you to waste time, Joan. Yes, our valuable, valuable time. You're late, as always. How about you join me in the boardroom before you become a disgusting relic of your times and have to be more than an alleged sweet talker in an exquisitely tailored high-waisted suit? Interior, boardroom. The team of Joan, Don, Peggy, Rod, and Pete have another advertising assignment and several martini glasses in front of them. 
Scattered across the conference room table are a variety of newspaper clippings and trade publications, along with a number of glossy photographs and wigs. Peggy and Joan each light a cigarette. All right, team, put down your drinks for a moment. This is the latest project for Capitol Records. They love the work we did for Frank Sinatra. Peggy gestures enthusiastically with her cigarettes. Old Blue Eyes, the master of smug romance. Men want to slap him, women want to be slapped by him. <laughs> Enjoy the sappy and slappy sounds of Sinatra. Don lights a cigarette. He sings, he acts. Some have called him our real president. Cast your vote to the voice with the sound of soft velvet. Upholster your ears and let Frankie redecorate your summer school. Rod lights a cigarette. Some people possess talent. Others are possessed by it. When that happens, the gift becomes a curse. Enjoy the curse of Frank Sinatra. Now in stereo. Pete lights two cigarettes. <laughs> Sinatra, the horned-up cowboy who smokes a competition every jukebox. Yes, they didn't like that one. But sales were strong, and now they're trying to launch a new act in the States. It's a singing group who have had a lot of success in England. They've sent us some material to review. All in the room, cigarettes hanging out of their mouths, looking over the clippings. Imagery and record sleeves in front of them. In the materials, they find multiple images of four identically dressed young musicians, as well as multiple reports of wild hysteria they've inspired in young fans internationally. The Beatles? I don't get it. Where are their horses? (laughs) They're kind of cute. Their hair is so long, it's dangerous. You can't even see their eyebrows. How do you know what they're thinking? That could be something. What do these mysterious, wild, hairy boys have to hide? What are their secrets? This new single of theirs is called, I Want to Hold Your Hand. I don't get it. Hand-holding, hmm, that's pretty risque. That's skin on skin. Can they put that on the radio? Are we gonna get in trouble for this? Presented for your consideration. Don interrupts Rod, allowing the room to stay in full color. I'll take this one, Rod. Look at these four boys. These young men who exist entirely outside of the rules of civilized society. Their hair is wild. Their music loud, passionate, rhythmic. The inevitable soundtrack of joy, exuberance, of dangerous youth. They want to hold our hands, yes. But but once they have a grip, they'll never let go. And our hands will become their hands. And our will becomes their will. They cannot and will not be controlled, and there is no way America will allow them to survive the decade. Their impact will be vast, influencing everything from fashion to art to language itself, and the gatekeepers of polite society, the media, our politicians, our church leaders will not stand for the sort of insurrection and revolution they will surely light the fires of. So, on behalf of Capitol Records, I suggest this angle. Meet the Beatles, enjoy them now, You'll miss them when they're dead. (laughs) Whoa. Peggy turns to Joan and whispers, I would follow that man to the gates of hell. (laughs) You can do better. You don't want what's beneath that bluster. Interior, mistress's house. Don Draper, after a late afternoon bender, wakes up in a sweat at 8.43 p.m. (laughs) The falling dream, again. He's in bed with a different mistress. Hey, handsome. Mr. Don Draper has always been my legal and given name. (laughs) How long was I asleep? Four minutes. In woman time? (laughs) Donathan. (laughs) You've been so strange lately. Which one are you, even? Does it matter? (laughs) Don begins to dress again. He stomps on the floor twice as he exits. 
Once again, the floor does not collapse. Interior, Sterling Cooper offices. The phone rings. Joan answers it. Sterling Cooper advertising. Joan, last name speaking. (laughs) Yes, yes. But of course. Oh my. Oh, absolutely. We're the best in the country for what it is we do. Yes, it's a good country. (laughs) America. Fine, we're the best in the world. No, I meant that. I'm confident. I have absolute faith in our man and women. Oh, no, no. Yes, we can handle that, I promise you. Joan hangs up the phone. Who is that? That sounded convoluted. The big one. Plato? Bigger. Montgomery Ward? Chesterfield cigarettes? National periodicals? General Electric? Bob's Big Boy? The biggest. The Swiss client? You better believe it, kid. I thought that was something Rod made up to scare Pete. No, they want us. It's official. We're handling the Swiss client. My God, do the men know? Why don't you do the honors? Interior, Don Draper's office. Peggy barges into Don's office, where he is sitting behind his desk across from Rod. The Swiss client just called Joan. Don opens his his desk drawer and produces a bucket of warm whiskey. (laughs) Come have a drink with the men, Peggy. What do you fear the most? I fear a highway, which leads to the shadowy tip of reality. A route to the land of the different, the bizarre, the unexplainable. A road where you can go as far as you like. Its limits are only those of the mind itself. Ladies and gentlemen. Pete, sweating profusely, (laughs) kicks down the door, interrupting Rod's thoughts. I fear eels. Pete leaves. Pete leaves. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, Rod. Thank you, Pete. Uh, But yes, I was speaking to Peggy specifically here. You seem unnerved about this Swiss client. Is is this some kind of a lady thing? (laughs) Why don't you sit down and tell Santa what you're afraid of? I fear compromising my character. I feel that to get ahead in this world, I'm going to have to become like any of you. Soulless, scared, paranoid, obsessed with validating one's identity and determined to sell people on unobtainable ideas or unfulfillable promises. I want to make people happy, yes. I want to enrich the lives of others. And yes, I don't mind putting my reputation on the line in support of brands and products with unique, sincere ideas. But the more time I spend here, the more I feel like I may be a fraud. Like the entire business is just a business of fraud. That it's just taking a set of basic lies and repackaging them over and over and over to try to sell different feelings to people through products that can't possibly deliver the promises we're pushing on the surface and subconsciously. Wow, that just poured out unexpectedly. Did I just have an arc? (laughs) Peggy realizes she's not being listened to as Don and Rod are both face down in the bucket of whiskey. (laughs) Drinking trough style. Don pulls his head out of the bucket, having emerged with a lit cigarette. That's right. That's right, kiddo. Now get out of my office. We've got man things to attend to. Interior, Sterling Cooper bathroom. Don is standing at the closest to the door of a row of four urinals, tending to his needs post-whiskey buckets, and drinking a martini, while two other martinis rest on the urinal's top shelf. Pete takes the urinal to Don's left, inching closer and closer to Don to show fearlessness. I love peeing, and I'm the best at it. (laughs) That's nice. That's nice, Pete. Uh, Personally, I wouldn't pride myself on simply removing what is no longer necessary. A man should take no pride or pleasure in discarding what is no longer useful to him. A man should focus on what's ahead and what he's to do with his newfound lightness. That being said, I happen to pee more than anybody I've ever met. (laughs) 
And I've never failed to urinate when I wish to. (laughs) Don zips up and leaves, lighting a cigarette. (laughs) Someday I will destroy you, Draper. Rod's voice calls out from inside a bathroom stall. The tools of conquest do not necessarily come with bombs and are explosions of fallout. There are weapons that are simply thoughts, attitudes, prejudices, only found in the minds of men. Prejudices can kill and suspicion can destroy. And the frightened search of a scapegoat has fallout all its own for the children and children yet unborn. Shut the hell up, Rod. Please pass me some toilet paper. Interior, Sterling Cooper boardroom. At the behest of the mysterious Swiss client, Joan has set up another presentation for the team. On an easel awaits a large framed image covered by a luxurious red cloak. In front of each member of the team is a full highball glass. A pack of cigarettes and a long triangular yellow box, a shade under 12 inches. Joan, normally in control of any situation, seems a little uneasy. She exhales several times and paces before her colleagues, running her fingers lightly against her lips, practicing what she's about to say. She gathers herself briefly, then asserts her authority at the head of the boardroom table. Okay, team, this is arguably the most important campaign we've ever worked on. The budget for this campaign dwarfs the budget that sent John Glenn into space. This needs to be a game changer. Our words here have the power to shape the entire world. Once our campaign takes shape, there isn't a set of eyes on the planet who won't be exposed to the message we deliver here. Joan unveils a large picture of the product on the easel. A gorgeous portrait of the same triangular boxes in front of each member of the Sterling Cooper team at the boardroom. Prominently yellow, with red lettering. It is unlike anything ever seen before. I present to you the pride of Bern, Switzerland, the genius creation of Theodore Tobler, a triumph of milk chocolate, honey, and almond nougat engineering. Meet Toblerone. Don't rush, no pressure, but this campaign will change our lives forever. I don't get it. How are we supposed to sell this to anybody? It's a damn chocolate triangle loaded with nougat. You know where this dang thing is from? Switzerland. They don't have cowboys in Switzerland. What could any of us have anything to do with this? Jesus, Pete, take a breath. We play with the unfamiliar then. We spin it as something new. Switzerland. I've never been there. Have any of us been there? What does the average person think of when they think of the Swiss? They're a neutral people, aren't they? How about, mind your business, eat this. Or the mountains. Some mythical imagery used the size of the bar to make a statement. Conquer dessert. You know, the kind of masculine power trip we used to sell all those, all those gardening gloves. Ah, uh, yes. The nature choker, plant gripper for men and only men. Rod gives his Toblerone a long glance, his brow wrinkling. He opens the packaging and slowly unveils the chocolate through the inner foil. His, light, his eyes light up. He's ready. Imagine if you would. Don bites into a Toblerone and chews loudly enough to overtake the sound of Rod's pitch. He engages with the Toblerone. Deeply. He savors the taste. He works the chewy nougat out of the craters of his teeth. He licks the softened chocolate off his fingers. When Don finishes his bite and rises to speak, the room awaits his latest masterwork. I, uh, I, I need to think about this. Don seemingly attempts to speak multiple times. Several moments pass. His eyes twitch. His lip quivers. He hesitates and leaves several powerful hand gestures unarticulated. Don takes his partially eaten Toblerone and leaves. The room is stunned. Don, where are you going? Let him go, Joan. We can crack this without him. 
Pete pounds both fists against the boardroom table with enough force to displace alcohol from the highball glasses. Three cowboys, six cigarettes. <laughs> Interior, Draper bedroom, night. It's the morning after, and Betty Draper is having sex on her husband. <laughs> Do you like that, honey? A long, empty pause follows as Betty continues to grind her hips around her husband's disinterested penis. Do you like anything? Do you, do you like me? Don thinks about his entire life <laughs> and every decision that has led to this very moment. Huh? <laughs> Don stays deep in thought. He has a wife. He has two kids who couldn't even bother to show up in this script. <laughs> he has a house and a career and fine suits and cigarettes and stiff drinks and a variety of interchangeable mistresses who accept the sex he has on them. Awesome. But is he happy? Is he ever? He works, but who for? He weaves through the lives of others, but what sort of impact does he make? Who does he care for? And who cares for him? Who admires and enjoys him for the person he really is deep down? Does anybody truly know that man? It's like you're never here. I feel like I don't have a husband. You come home late and all you want is a pot roast and a punch bowl of whiskey and you sleep until you wake up sweaty. You never tell me what's wrong. You don't treat me like a friend, a partner, a woman. I feel alone. I feel so alone. Do you ever hear me, Mr. Don Draper? I feel so alone. I feel more alone than before we met. I feel more alone than I ever have. That's it. That's it, darling. Don finishes, kisses his wife on the forehead, <sighs> hastily puts on his clothing for the day, and rushes to work with newfound purpose. Interior, Sterling Cooper later that morning. Don, humbled by his performance the previous day, addresses his colleagues. The full Toblerone display still prominent. The boardroom space now cluttered with crumpled paper and broken pencils. The team worked long into the night in vain, trying to conjure the pitch of a lifetime. I don't know uh, what came over me yesterday. I apologize to the men here for wasting your time and I hope the women enjoyed a new expression on my chiseled face. <laughs> a look of uh, bewilderment and confusion that you will never see again. Treasure it. My gazes are beautiful as snowflakes. Don takes a bite out of a Toblerone, chewing loudly. I thought about this all night. <laughs> when I looked at it, when I realized something, do I love my wife? I don't know. She couldn't possibly love me after all. She's a woman. <laughs> Where do I go for love then? Could I ever love myself? Of course not, I'm a man. I couldn't love another man, that's illegal. <laughs> The only true love is non-romantic, undefined by labels, marriage or monogamy. The only unselfish true love is that of friendship, a friend, a friend who loves us unconditionally, a friend who loves us not only for the person we pretend to be, but in spending real time with us, for the person we truly are beneath our pretenses. My name is not Don Draper. I stole that from a dying man in my foxhole during the Korean War. <laughs> I figured he didn't need it anymore. And I wanted a fresh start, a chance to become a new man, a chance to have the slim, slimmest chance at finding, not love, not success, but security, contentment, peace. What do we sell here in the industry? For the first time, holding this prime prism of chocolate and nougat in my hand, I knew for the first time in so long that I didn't have to lie to sell a product. I didn't have to dig deeper 
unearth repressed truths. I didn't have to make you feel or ache or yearn or something. I found a truly pure product with good intentions and a solid, chewy, nougaty heart. This product never judged me for the man I've been. And piece by triangular piece, I knew it was here for me in the long haul. It's been said that every man enters life alone and leaves it alone, but my friends, I have to say, that old saying is wrong because we are today, and here we are moving into the world of tomorrow, and we are not alone because you're never alone with a Toblerone. <laughs> Don's words resonate around the room. The sun shines brighter. The air smells sweeter. People begin to sit up straighter. Eyes widen, hopes rise, and Pete has had enough. God fucking damn it, Draper. God fucking damn you to hell. Pete bolts out of the room through the cloud of collected smoke, his heavy footsteps pounding loudly in the hallway. Hard stomps pumping erratically as the sound of thudding on metal stairways can be heard in the far distance by those still in the room. His colleagues stay in the room, unconcerned by his sudden exit, transfixed at the glorious visage of the delicious Swiss chocolates before them. They each break off pieces of Toblerone and contently chew and savor each bite. The feeling in the room is pure satisfaction. The most honest pitch for a truly perfect, necessary product. Draper has done it again. Pete's screams briefly fight for attention as his body falls beyond the conference room window while he plummets to his death. (laughs) With eight cigarettes! (laughs) And that night, Don Draper, the self-obsessed advertising man, so wrapped up in his own brilliance, so unaware of his impact on the lives of others. Well, Don Draper had the best sleep of his entire life. Rod takes a giant bite out of Toblerone. I'm a different guy. Close one. This is the Twilight Zone. Sponsored by Toblerone. Remember, dear viewer, you're never alone with a Toblerone. The end. Justin Cousin. Give it up for everyone who has been part of this amazing night. Uh, Kyle George. Madame Fleischer. Tiffany McGuire. Lydia Manning. Uh, The the, the dearly departed John Washington. R.I.P. Kirsten Kubenbender. And the writer of this episode and the narrator, you got Justin Cusson! With co-host, my friend, Chris Otomy. Oh, thank you, thank you. And love of my life, my co-host, Kyle McCormick. And shout out to co-producer and co-host, Shane Hosey! Uh, also give it up for people that took a photos, Jaron George. Jaren! A man making sound sound so good, Ryan. Ryan! Aaron Michael Walker recording us via video in the back. Via video. Uh, let's see. The uh, classic way. Mark, we met uh, from the pre-show. New, new, uh, d- uh, new Triple PW Tag Team Champion. Uh, give it up for the person that threw me a soda water, uh, Alexandra <laughs> Jade. Uh, <laughs> Give it up for the other two-thirds of the Love Boys from before. Oh, the yeah. Show. They left us. Oh, well, fuck them. Yeah. Uh, 
No okay. love for the Love Boys. Hey, keep your uh, people in line, Kyle. Okay, so Spec Script is a show on the River City Podcast Federation. There are a lot of great podcasts on that. Yeah, we got Carolyn's two podcasts. We got Shane's podcast. We got this podcast. We got Kyle my other podcast. A lot of podcasts. Uh, so listen to it up. Uh, find this podcast on any podcasting platforms you want to relive your laughs. They will live forever. Drop us a review. Drop us a review on Facebook or iTunes or what have you. Uh, let's see other things to tell you. Uh, before we end this podcast recording, oh, the next one is going to be Two and a Half Men. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Written I'm, by me, Kyle McCormick. I'm going to be writing Two and a Half Men. Yeah, uh, and that will be on April 8th, 7 o'clock at Kelly's Olympian, 7 o'clock doors. But you know, it's always good to get here, get a good seat, like our amazing front row people. Yeah. Uh, Look at those champions. And uh, you get to see me really stressful and kind of sniping at people. Uh, yeah, if you want to see Chris really stressed out, yeah, show up at uh, 6.30. Uh, oh, no, I hate it when they do that. <laughs> I know. Uh, all right, no, uh, so that's a thing that you can do. Uh, let's see what else. If you want, you know, remember, check out the Undertale Comedy Festival, yep. April 26th, 27th, 28th. It's going to be a blast uh, from not the past because it's happening in the future. Um, but yeah, come and see Baywatch uh, by Specscript there and a bunch of other great comedy. All right, well, that has been a great Specscript. Thank you, everyone. Yay! Thank you for listening to Specscript. Come to our next live episode on April 8th for Kyle's Going Away episode of Two and a Half Men. See you then. This spring, escape the bustle of Portland, grab some friends, and take a drive out west to the beach. April 26th, 27th, and 28th, Undertow Comedy Festival presents over 25 fantastically funny comedians from across the nation, delivering three laugh-filled nights of comedy in Lincoln City. Experience the comedic stylings of Ron Funches, Lori Kilmartin, Jeff Dye, Shane Moss, and Ron Lynch, just to name a few. Passes on sale now at undertowcomedy.com. That's undertowcomedy.com. So what are you waiting for? Get pulled under. Hello and welcome to the Ad for Afternoonified, the podcast where we hope to make you a little less dumb while we also become a little less dumb. Do you want to know why some saints have never decomposed or why you're compelled to eat laundry detergent and home insulation? Ugh. Maybe you've heard about the Axe Handle Hound or a demon named Zozo and want to know more. We're here to help. Join us. I thought you say Emily and Ryan. <laughs> yeah, that's what we were going to do. I'm just going to leave this in. Um, join us. Emily and Ryan on our mission to investigate the weirder sides of science history and that is your line and the paranormal and afternoonified part of the River City Podcast Federation nailed it done yeah come find us it's the River City Podcast Federation